Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends About Jesus. How is your pumpkin spice? Pretty much everything right now. <laughs> Dude, hopefully you're watching some football. The leaves are changing and fall is here in your life. Anyway, this week on Ancient Apostolic Emails, we're going to look at arguably the old, oldest set of emails. Uh, these are the two that are written to the city of Thessalonica called First and Second Thessalonians. Now, Paul and Silas um, passed through the city of Thessalonica and only spent one month there, but in one month, we're able to set up a, a whole Christian community. But they had to leave pretty quick because they're accused of sedition against Caesar, meaning trying to overthrow Caesar, because they're preaching about another king. See, Jesus is king, right? So because of the persecution, they had to get the heck out of Dodge. But uh, shortly thereafter, they send their mini-me, Timothy, to go check on the people there. And Timothy reports that the people are, do- are still getting wrecked with persecution. Things are hard, but they're, they're faithful. So Paul writes the first letter to the Thessalonic- Thessalonians to say, hey, good job, keep it up. Then he finds out um, that things are even worse. Persecution has gotten even worse. So he sends letter number two to say, no, seriously, you're doing great, keep it up. So Paul starts his letter saying, hey, you remember when me and Silas were hanging out with you like we were all family, but now we're like orphaned away from you? Well, we were just so excited to hear that you're still connected to Jesus despite the difficulties you're enduring. And he says, trust me, it's worth it because Jesus died and he rose again. And we believe that Jesus will resurrect all who have fallen asleep in him. And then he goes on to describe what this will be like. He's like, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So he's like, I get it. Things are rough. But let me tell you, you got something to hope for because Jesus is real. I know he's resurrected and you one day will be resurrected. And in that moment, things will be made right. He says, God will pay back trouble on those who trouble you. So you don't have to worry about wrecking them. God will wreck them. And he will give relief to you who are troubled. This will happen when the Lord is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. He'll punish those who don't obey him They will be punished with everlasting destruction. He's like really coming strong. Well, and I think because these people are being abused and they want to feel like there's going to be some justice done. Um, But he also just says, hey, but you are going to be glorified and it's going to be marvelous. and, And this is going to come because you believe and you have tested this gospel. So basically, Paul is just saying, Jesus is going to come again. You will be resurrected. And he will administer to people what they need. Well, then the question is, well, when is this all going to go down? And so he says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Like you're not going to know when Jesus is coming. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. So that this day, meaning the day Jesus comes and makes everything right, should surprise you like a thief. You are all the children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake. 
So he's like, hey, guys, I, I, you, we don't know when he's coming. But I feel like you're going to have a fill for it because you're children of light is basically what he says. He, he goes on in the second letter to talk about this too. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. <laughs> so he's, there's some people in between letter one and two. They've gone around preaching uh, that the day of the Lord has already come and they missed it. <laughs> He's like, can you imagine how stressed you're like, I missed it? Oh man, and I'm still here getting wrecked. He's like, don't be so worried about this. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the man doomed to destruction. In other words, guys, don't count on Jesus coming next week. Like, do, <laughs> but also, like, what do you do in the meantime? Uh, do you sit around in the temple waiting for death or the second coming? No, 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 no. He gives some pretty clear instructions. He's like, okay, so we don't know when Jesus is coming. It's not going to be next week. So what are you going to do with your time? He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle. We were not idle when we, uh, when we were with you. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. Uh, they are busy bodies. That's a good play on words, right? Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down, earn the food they, keep, and they eat. And for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Now we ask you to acknowledge those that work hard among you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of the work. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. In other words, he's saying, okay, things are rough. A. B. Jesus is going to make this right. You can trust on that. C. Get out there and do something good. Be life participants. Wherever your skills lie, wherever your desires lie, do that. It just doesn't really matter. Just be engaged in life. And this doesn't have to be even strictly spiritual or without monetary remuneration. Um, like he, he says, we need to acknowledge those that work hard among you. Earning money can actually put you in circumstance to do even more good. Maybe that's one of your gifts. H. David Burton tells this story. He says, Good morning, brothers and sisters. In 1897, a young David O. McKay stood at the door with a tract in his hand. As a missionary in Stirling, Scotland, he had done this many times before. But on that day, a very haggard woman opened the door and stood before him. She was poorly dressed, had sunken cheeks and unkept hair. She took the tract Elder McKay offered to her and spoke six, six words that he subsequently would never forget. Will this buy me any bread? This encounter left a lasting impression on the young missionary. He later wrote, this is David O. McKay writing, From that moment, I had a deeper realization that the church of Christ should be and is interested in the temporal salvation of man. I walked away from the door feeling that that woman, with bitterness in her heart toward man and God, was in no position to receive the message of the gospel. She was in need of temporal help. 
and there was no organization, so far as I could learn, in Sterling that could give it to her. That's why Elder McKay was so concerned with helping individuals um, and spreading welfare and helping out. Elder Holland at another point says, Given the monumental challenge of addressing inequity in the world, what can one man or one woman do? The master healer, the master himself offered an answer. When prior to his betrayal and crucifixion, Mary anointed Jesus' head with expensive burial ointment, Judas Iscariot protested this extravagance and murmured against her. And when he did, Jesus replied, Why are you troubling her? She hath wrought a good work. She hath done what she could. She hath done what she could. What a succinct formula Elder Holland teaches. He says, Brothers and sisters, such a sermon demands that I openly acknowledge the unearned, undeserved, unending blessings in my life, both temporal and spiritual. Like you, I have had to worry about finances on occasion, but I have never been poor, nor do I even know how the poor feel. Furthermore, I do not know all the reasons why the circumstances of birth, health, education, and economic opportunities vary so widely here in mortality. But when I see the want among so many, I do know that there, but for the grace of God, go I. I also know that although I may not be my brother's keeper, I am my brother's brother. And because I have been given much, I too must give. In that regard, I pay a personal tribute to President Thomas Spencer Monson. I've been blessed by an association with this man for 47 years now. And the image of him I will cherish until I die is of him flying home from then economically devastated East Germany in his house slippers because he had given away not only his second suit and his extra shirts, but the very shoes from off his feet. How beautiful upon the mountains and shuffling through an airline terminal are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publisheth peace. More than any man I know, President Monson has done all he could for the widow and the fatherless, the poor and the oppressed. End quote from Elder Holland. So what do we do while we're waiting for the second coming? He says, don't be idle. Work hard. Do good. What does that look like for you? I don't know. Maybe you can do a lot. Maybe it's just small. I don't know. Uh, a, a Latter-day Saint named Cici Palou, she's from France. She says this in her own words. She says, I'm a fashion designer. I started out working at Dior, where I was able to meet lots of people. Uh, artists, politicians, Jackie Kennedy, Elizabeth Taylor, Gwen Stefani. Some use stone to sculpt. Others use violins to play music. I use fabrics to create. But there comes a point in your life when you evaluate yourself. That's when I realized that this was not the life I wanted and that I needed to express myself differently. So I searched for inspiration and the person that best exemplified helping and serving others to me was Mother Teresa. So I wrote to her. One month later, I received a reply, a very short letter. There's only one sentence, come, we need all the help we can get. I went that same year. The first time I went to Calcutta, India, Mother Teresa was there. And we were able to talk. I told her I wanted to find my place in the world where I could feel useful. So she sent me to look after the lepers. 
I helped the doctor deliver medicine in the streets. She tested me all the way. She really tested me. From there, I went to Kathmandu. It was my first time in Nepal. I arrived there in the jungle. When I started taking pictures, the only light was the flash of my camera. The children were sleeping on the ground, completely naked. I asked myself, what can I possibly do for them? Over time, the idea came to me that I needed to sell my house. I said, okay, then I'll sell it. And with a profit, I will do something in Nepal. And that's exactly what happened. I left Nepal with a large sum of money. And that's where we built the ashram. It took 10 years to build. Now there are more than 30 that have become, this is her orphanage. Uh, she says there are more of 30 people who have passed through my orphanage that have become financially self-reliant. She introduces, this is Rita showing pictures. She's now a nurse. Tulsi's an accountant. Uh, Karen became a, a, a pharmacist. She says it's amazing. And when I return to Nepal twice each year, I visit my 79 children, she says, who I'm, I'm anxious to see. But I also visit children that I've made a habit of seeing regularly who belong to a different organization because I want to make many as many children happy as possible. There's so much to do. And little things, it's really through the little things that we can make people happy. That's what I discovered. I wanted to make people happy. That's part of my religious beliefs in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The gospel is the pure love of Christ. And we, when we follow his example, we want to help everyone. If someone falls over in the street, we help them up. When someone is sad, we smile or offer help. I never thought I could do any of this because I'm really just an ordinary person trying to do something extraordinary. So in Thessalonia, when they themselves are struggling, Paul says, don't worry, Jesus has got you. And he liberates them to go out and do some good. I think he's saying the same thing to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.